Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm super excited for today's guest. We have Rick Watson. Rick is the author of A Firm Worth Building. He runs a super successful investment firm, but his story, which we caught up a little bit on the pre-chat, is fascinating, and I think he's got some really, really interesting perspectives on the legal business, which is something that he's been getting into that I am super intrigued to ask him about. So thank you for coming on the show, Rick. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Jan. All right. So in the process of, you know, I also forgot to mention this in the beginning, but uh, also the uh, founder of the National Referral Network, which connects accountants, financial advisors, and attorneys. You've had your hands in the major pies of the different professional service world. But I guess my first question is like, you know, I know you're running a super successful financial practice. So what's got you, you know, getting into looking with the attorneys and accountants and stuff? We're unique. Uh, our investment firm, we manage about a half a billion dollars. We're unique in the sense that we get referrals from accountants, attorneys, financial advisors, insurance brokers all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so because of that, we were working with these people quite a bit. And we realized that those businesses are so similar to each other. Accounting, I know that lawyers like to think of themselves as separate, but and they are. They certainly have a certain personality. But when we write in the book, it was about this idea that accountants, attorneys, and financial advisors are so similar from the way that they see the world. And most, they suffer from some of the same problems, which is really that they want to be focused on accounting and or they want to be focused on their specialty and not on running the business. And so we were trying to give some tips on how to run the business better. Okay, interesting. And I can definitely see that too, because it's like at face value, you've got credentials related to all those different types of firms. I think there's also a certain personality type that's attracted to kind of a credentialized way of, of running a business and there's security built into that. But also you see these really different results and how these things end up scaling. A big question I had was like, what do you see attorneys doing differently than financial accounting businesses when it comes to actually scaling their businesses? I know it's a big question, but... Yeah, no. So I think that attorneys tend to be a little bit more entrepreneurial. Accountants, as a general rule, aren't very entrepreneurial. Insurance folks are very entrepreneurial, but, but they all tend to still suffer from this idea. If you think about it, almost every law firm, every accounting firm or financial firm are two or three, four people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or the guy who's got his own shingle up. There's a reason that they don't grow past a certain point. And it's because they're not building it like a business. They run it like a little fiefdom. And they mm-hmm. haven't really thought about like how to scale. So to your point, I think while they all differ personality-wise, I still think they all struggle with the same things, which is brand, you know, basic things. It's branding properly, motivating and maintaining and motivating employees. It's all that stuff that they're just culture that so many people look at it and they're like, I don't even know what you mean by culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because it's like, it's not like there's like a hard limit on this stuff. I remember this is, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but there is a time where somebody ended up contacting us to do white label services. They're Zoom Google AdWords for private investigators, very, very weird uh, area of business. And the thing that you'd find of almost 
super, super bottom heavy market. Everyone was really, really small. And what I found out after you know a couple of years of working in that, that side of business is that they had licensing requirements, which was like your insurance premiums went out insane amounts if you were ever to get above a single primary investigator. So that's why most people operated as solos. The funny thing is that there's no such restrictions on any of these other professions, but we still see these Thing. So, I mean, which kind of implies that it's something that's totally self-imposed. So um, we've got a couple of really cool threads we can follow on there. So you mentioned branding, you mentioned culture. What do you think is the most common one that's keeping, or I guess like, you know, what do you think is, is or either of those upstream of the other, or what would you recommend a, a firm that's stuck like focusing on first? Well, first, I would think I would bring up the book because the book has something like 29 lessons on how to improve the, the business. What's their biggest problem? I, it's, there's probably three, again, right off the top. Branding as who you are, right? Not who you want to be. How do people perceive you? It's the value that you're generating out into the world. And I think that so many of them don't even know. Like my brand is I'm an, an accountant or I'm an attorney, right? I do legal work. Well, that's not your brand. That's just something that you do to get there. What do people walk away with as an experience? Because that's your brand. I think the other thing that I see is really poorly maintained offices where the staff, let me put this, they don't feel like they're all in one team. There's the attorneys and then the staff and the staff mm -hmm. are somehow lower. And then you don't build a baseball team like that. You would have the pitchers and then everybody else, right? Yeah. So it's it's making a bunch of individual fingers into a hand or a fist, right? And mm -hmm. and that's an issue. And then the third area is an idea called edification. I think in the industry in general, professional industry, they all are fighting for control. Who's the most important? And so they make themselves look bigger at the cost of somebody else. And I think that's actually exactly opposite and backwards that you do a lot better if you start elevating everybody around you and make them more important than you. And I, I think that that's a real struggle, particularly in law, because so many of them, there's some big personalities, let's put it that way, in law. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I think I got to guess back to what we were talking about earlier with the credentials thing. It's like, you know, people are attracted because you can have something that makes you bigger at the end of the day. And to your point, it's like, you know, if you invested all this time in becoming a JD, then like, what are you to do to edify somebody who just you know, answered a job ad and started working two weeks ago? But again, like that might be the thing that ends up getting you to the, to the next level. But I want to double click on that a little bit. So when you say edification, when are we going to be introducing this stuff to clients? And how do you recommend people go about doing that? So edification is more of an approach of how you approach people in general. So it's two sides of it. One of them is how do you do it? who your staff. When you introduce a staff person, do you say, hey, and I'm going to have this person get back to you? And right, that's, that's one way of approaching it. The other way is to say, hey, I want to introduce you to Mary, and she's freaking awesome. She is the best. She is like a warm hug every day. She's so awesome. She'll take care of you, and she will become your best friend. Here, Mary, you know, and now you're like, okay, I'm up for Mary, right? What do we got for Mary? Okay. I think that's internal, right? Your internal systems. How do you introduce your staff? How you introduce outside professionals. So the accountant that's out there that you're now, the attorney is referring somebody to, do they say, hey, I'm going to refer you an accountant? Or do they say, let me tell you about this accountant. And I've always had great experiences with them. And I just think they're, you know, that's, that's edification. And I think the industry tends to do the opposite. They tend to de-edify. Yeah. So they'll say, your partner in the firm, you go in and introduce them, they'll go, hey, I'm going to introduce you to my partner. If he doesn't return his phone call right away, can you get back to me and let me know that? Because, you know, we want to stay on top. Well, you just did is cut the legs out from underneath that person. 
Yeah. So I, I think that edification is a mindset. It's an approach that I'm going to build everybody else better. And I'm going to say, look, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I got to tell you, they're better at what they do. Mm. That is really hard for people with big egos to get out of the way of. But once you do that, the firm starts to grow, you know, unlimited because, you know, everybody's happy to be there. Yeah, that's a super good point, too, because it's like other than that, there's really no cost to doing that. And the benefits, I think, are tremendous. So I did kind of have an idea because I've heard about that term, like mostly in the sales context, to be completely honest. It's actually something I wrote about in my book, which is like when you're doing the handoff, especially when you get to the point where you're setting an appointment for somebody else or you're having somebody take over the case. It is the best thing in the world to, to make that person look like the best person that's possibly working in the firm. And you know, if people are getting really honest with themselves, so I could just hop on my soapbox for a little bit. It's like if you get to the situation where you get to do something five hours a week and you got a staff member that's doing it 40 plus, if they're not better than you right now, they're gonna be better soon. So you might as well recognize that stuff. And you know, again, it doesn't cost anything. And the, the client experience is sort of like a, a Pygmalion effect, right? Because if we're setting the negative expectation that your partner's not gonna do it, then that's more than likely what they're gonna get into it. And if they make the person look like they're walking on water, then you know, assuming that you're not outright misrepresenting stuff, people will tend to fill in the gray areas with something a little bit lighter. So I think it's like, it's, it's such an important thing. But what I really love that you've added to it too, is that this isn't just something that you're doing with clients. It's something that really becomes a way of being at the firm, right? Right. We build each other up all the time. If we have disagreements, we do it privately or, you know, struggles or whatever. We do those privately, but we want people to be, we want the people at the firm to be excited to be there and all feel like we're part of a team. Yeah, and, and it makes your life easier because it's, your, it's the basic ability to delegate. If I can send one piece of work to 10 different directions, I'm like a badass, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and you do that by having people who always get introduced really strongly and warmly. We bring them in, I mean, we don't just do it, like talk about somebody, we'll say, we'll tell a story, let me tell you a little story about this person. Yeah. Then we'll bring them in and introduce, let me call them in. Let's do, a, let's do a Zoom meeting real quick and bring them into the conversation. That is such a strong way of doing it where they're either physically or, or virtually right there. Yeah. And you connect to something too, which I think is really interesting as well. It's like your ability to delegate is directly connected to this too. I love the, the phrase, um, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And if the game that you're playing is, I want to be the coolest, I want to be big man on campus. I want to be the, you know, the, the queen of the fur, whatever you may be. The prize you're going to win is everyone's going to look to you to do stuff, right? And it's just like not a good place to be. Like you really do have to create leaders if you ever want to get out of the point of doing everything yourself. And I wonder how much that contributes to the. Well, it's, it's such a big part of the national referral network that we built because I've got accountants and it's, we're basically building. So they, you start out in the industry and, and you start to build these CI networks or in centers of influence networks, right? So you need to have part of your team, your accountant, your attorney, your, I don't know, everybody that you can think of that your people, your clients might want, you need to build that team out. What we did is we built that on a national level. It doesn't work unless they edify each other, right? right? I mean, it's just devastates it. So that's one of the reasons we got so into edification is because if you don't do it right, the whole sandbox falls apart. So I want to get into that a little bit more because when we have the extension, and I think like if, if I, if I want to be generous to the people that aren't edifying people within their firm and outside of their firm, there is sort of a cost to it. And I guess the cost would potentially wind up with, you know, egg on your face if somebody ends up dropping the ball. 
But I think it's your job as a leader to make sure that you're doing the due diligence to make sure that that team member is trained to execute the way they are, or you're doing the research on something that you're doing the handoff in a way that you're never going to wind up with egg on your face. So it's like, but again, and that allows it to, to kind of get to the point where that referral is actually going to make sense. But I'm super curious to hear about this national referral network. I know that every single attorney here loves referrals. And, you know, I think you're, you're hitting on some really important points, especially that, you know, the people that tend to hire a lot of different professionals are usually people that we want to be working with a lot. So let's um, go back to a little bit of the, uh, the origin of this stuff. So tell me more about the national referral network, how it started and, you know, how, how are we going with that right now? So the National Referrals Network started out as an idea, right? Really what we wanted to do is to is to approach people holistically to create sort of a virtual family office. And it didn't exist. What we wanted, we wanted an Angie's list for attorneys, accountants, and would all the professionals, right? So we built it because it didn't exist. So that's one of our mottos for our firm is we build what should exist. And so it just really grew, continues to grow. And it's pretty neat because it makes geography unimportant. If I have somebody, a client of mine has a cousin, that cousin lives in Nebraska. In the traditional world, they become unimportant. You're not going to worry about that because I'm not going to go that far to go see um, that person. But when I have a network, I'm going to send things off into the network and be able to take care of that person. Stuff has a tendency to come back to you. And I think that's what we found. The National Referral Network. So it's it's this idea of a virtual CI network, centers of influence network, except it's national. So it gives you the ability to touch somebody anywhere. Originally, it was just for referrals. That was the premise behind it. But as time went on, it became a lot of coaching of how to onboard clients, how to make it an exit plan. So how to exit, how to grow the firm. All of these things started. That's kind of where the book came from, was this, this idea of how we expanded the, the offering and idea behind it. So it's a pretty cool concept. And again, the book is, is really just an outgrowth of, of what was in the National Referral Network. So that's awesome. I think it's really cool that you guys are helping out with that stuff too. So when it kind of came down to it, before you had the book, how are you working with people before the book? So, I mean, we'd always been doing that. We have law. So what happened originally was we started doing a, a solicitor arrangements with attorneys and accountants. And that was a really interesting. It created a whole nother revenue source for these, uh, for these professionals. And I think the original one was an estate planning attorney who, who would see clients and then send them over to their financial advisor. And we hired the financial advisor to work for our firm. So it was just this building process, but it is amazing the amount of money that these guys have influence on. So we started doing that and it just continued to grow into these other things, the consulting and the, and helping them to grow because it was getting in our way to be able, as you said, scratch your own itch. It's where you're just trying to grow this thing and it, it, uh, they were getting in their own way. So we started to consult, to try to help that way, get out of the way so we could make it work better. But uh, yeah, so the National Referral Network, one of the things that's so interesting about it is, is there's a, a free service, which is just to get yourself listed. There's a power member, which you pay for to get access to get ranked higher. And then we have premier members and those members can uh, get access to revenue sharing, which is pretty cool. And it's a way for them to grow their, significantly grow their revenue. It's, it's crazy to me how much money these accountants and attorneys come across. Okay. I was going to say too, do you have any like numbers or highlights or any examples of people that you've just seen that you, you're willing to share on the show? Yeah. Just to, to so, examples? Really simple. So um, estate planning attorneys sent over probably four referrals this year. He has in the neighborhood of about $4 million of assets 
that he's sent to us, whether he meant to or not. True story. So I have attorney called us and said, hey, I've got somebody. I want you to talk to them about long-term care. It's not really something we do that much of, but whatever. And by the way, there's $100,000 in investment assets. You might try to get that too. Turns out the client, as we get into the client, start opening up this client, there's $2.4 million. And we, because of our systems being all digital, all, all in our entire client relationship is digital. So we just do Zoom meetings all day. That's how we do it. And it's the whole process was designed around that. We end up never meeting people and bringing over large amounts of money. It surprises me when the attorney doesn't even know that there was that much money on the table. Yeah. And when you're making them look great too, because, you know, ultimately, like we do a lot of work for the state planning attorneys and the marketing side, which is like people are coming to a state planning to plan for the future. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's a slam dunk referral where you could pick up where somebody else is then off and they're genuinely able to provide a better service for that person if they can, you know, get that in a way with somebody that they trust, which is fantastic. Okay, quick question, devil's advocate. So if we're talking about the fee sharing stuff, I'm sure you guys have come up with a solution to this, but how do you get around like different bar regulations around like, oh, is it ethical if fee split and that kind of thing? It's a one-way street. So we share the from the investment firm. We don't share from the uh, from the legal fees. Although I will say that when enough stuff is coming through the system, it is reasonable that if we sent you know ten cases to to an attorney, estate planning attorney, you know it's reasonable to say, can we negotiate a lower fee structure? We can't. So that's how we get around it, right? Okay. Is that we don't we don't ever pull fees from the estate planning attorney, but he might go, hey, Rick, your people are great. They're always set up really, really well by the time I get them. And you edify us when I walk in the door. And to be honest with you, most of the planning is done by us before we send it over there. They have a pretty clean outline of what we're going to do. So, you know, it's reasonable that they might, you know, if we're sending enough volume through, we might negotiate a lower cost for our client, which is a benefit to us at the end of the day. Very cool. Let's kind of talk about how the things have grown too, because it's like, if we have this situation where like we've got the estate planning attorneys, what other practice areas have you guys been getting into? Is there any other like, you know, slam dunk cases that you guys have to work with or different types of attorneys that you guys want to get more into the network or anything like that? I think that uh, the two big ones that we could think of is um, PI, is that right? Yeah, personal injury. Uh, personal yeah, injury yeah. attorneys, right. So personal injury attorneys and uh, estate planning are two big ones. Mm -hmm. Although I think it's, you know, the thing is, is that National Referral Network, one of the things we try to do is to teach the attorneys to be problem solvers. Stop being attorneys, start being problem solvers about everything, whatever they touch, whatever. I'm here to help you. I, my primary area is real estate law, but anything I can do to help you, I'm going to try to help you. That's a completely different conversation than I'll do your trust for you. And it makes them into not a commodity anymore. And then once they're a problem solver, I can send stuff all different directions, estate planning law, business brokers, real estate agents, the whole national referral network starts to light up because they become problem solvers and not one thing. I'll say this too, because I think this is like the hallmark of some of the best people that I've ever met in business. It's like, for one, it really does help create a better solution if you're able to do that. But I'll also say this from a sales side, like when we have the situation where somebody's walking in the office and you just can say, hey, look, genuinely, I just want to talk about what's going on with your situation. There's stuff that I can help with. There's stuff that I know other people can help with. It actually positions the person saying that in a way where it's like, you're not like, you know, some, you know, Scrooge McDuck, uh, you know, dollar size popping out of their eyes kind of situation because you're genuinely an advisor. You're there to help. And also say the other thing too, whether you guys realize this or not, people can't tell the difference between the different practice areas of law. 
Right. To them, it's like super obvious, but to a regular person, it's my attorney. Yeah. Yeah. They don't make a distinction in their heads. I agree with you. I think that's, and I think it's broader than that, what you just said. You're a professional advisor at the end of the day. Whether you're, you know, whatever area of law you are, it doesn't matter. You're still a professional advisor and they don't make a distinction between that and their accountant and their financial advisor. They are kind of these broad sort of swaths that I think that the way people categorize people. So okay. that's awesome. So let's switch gears a little bit too. I saw something super interesting and it was basically, you guys have an, a different approach for building trust in an accelerated case. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Again, we build what should exist. So we built this idea called trust compression. Trust compression is the way to make, if you're going to do digital appointments, which is the way most of our appointments work, we, you've got to be able to compress the ideas and the trust factor a lot faster. The way it works in the industry, at least in the financial business, I know it's different law, but traditionally you have a one to one and a half hour discovery dis appointment, and then you come back and you do a one or one and a half hour sort of problem solving appointment. I imagine law is not that different from that. So what we, we did is we broke that appointment into four 15 to call it 20 minute pieces, 24, 20 minute pieces. In a sense, in an hour and 20 minutes, I've seen that client four times. It's way more efficient. And what's funny about it is it builds trust a lot faster too. And the reason is because it turns out that people don't make emotional decisions about somebody based on the amount of time you spend with them. It's the number of times they've had an interaction that's been positive. It's a trip. I just think it's such a strange concept, but I can meet with somebody four times. And in most worlds, I've just met with them two years worth of appointments, yeah. right? It was only for 15 or 20 minutes. And every time they walked away with value, then it, it strengthens that the trust relationship so much faster. And it's an idea that we developed called trust compression, which is also in the book. That's fantastic. So this is something I have sometimes brought up on the podcast, but um, I actually studied psychology in uh, university. That was like my, my field of study. And there's this thing that was coming up just called episodic memory. And it's like, there's, it's, it's when you look at people in terms of when you have those years that feel like nothing happened, if you're just doing the same stuff on loop, like the, the years where you go on a bunch of trips or vacations, you got to visit family or relatives, they feel like way longer time. So I think there's something really uh, intriguing about potentially doing that. I have kind of just like the dorky questions to get more specific on that. How do you guys deal with people that are too busy to, oh, oh my God, so many appointments? Or do you guys have any special tricks as far as like getting people to comply with this or you know, any objections that people should be aware of if they're considering a switch to something like this? Yeah, I would look, I would try it. I would say, yeah. hey, just try it. See if it goes, how it goes, right? And it might be a little clumsy like anything else in the very beginning, but, but if it's not too bad, keep trying it. What we find is that People only have a memory, an ability to remember things for about 20 minutes anyway. Yeah. So when you go on for an hour and a half, they don't really remember that much about the appointment anyway. If I book those appointments, maybe, so the way we do it is every couple of days, two or three days between them, it gives them time to digest, to internalize it, and then you can build on it. But if I do an appointment, wait two weeks, they don't remember. Like, how many times have you sat in front of a client and they don't remember the last conversation you had? Yeah. All right, let me back up and explain to you what we're doing. This idea is to break that up so it's more tight together. And I just think it's a, it's a really just, and, and they're going to invest less time doing this than overall than if I spent two one and a half hour appointments. That's three hours. I just made it so much more efficient. And the, the thing is for us, we were driving between appointments. 
So we had like another hour between each one of those things. It was a real, we are four or five times more efficient now. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'll also say this too, it's like, I think definitely honest something is if you have those longer meetings that are spaced out the more like you might spend the first 45 minutes just catching up on what you guys talked about the last time. But if it's fresh, you're starting from a point where you're moving forward every single time. And I think super importantly, that time in between meetings is compressed. That's a huge thing we see whenever people are scheduling follow ups for legal stuff. It's like if somebody says, Oh, yeah, let's touch base in a week, they've lost probably 50 to 80% of the information they have at the end of that presentation. Like if you say, Hey, look, you know, why don't you guys sleep on it? Let's touch base tomorrow. Completely different story. That's, that's really, really interesting. I haven't thought about like getting something to, to the point where everything's 20 minutes, but um, you got me thinking about that, Rick. That's well, let me, cool. let me throw you one more idea here. So then we use something called Bridges to Gap Meetings. So Bridges to Gap Meetings is we'll send a video that's 10 minutes or less about the concept. So I talked to you about a concept. Oh, this is all kind of new. Okay, interesting. I send you a video about that concept with a summary letter that bullet points the important parts. and then. Two or three days later, I'm meeting with you. When I see you, you're very confident that you feel like you understood the concepts. Yeah. Right? The next time, and we can build off of those. So an important thing would be bridges to gap meetings, which is also a way to, to reinforce what I told them. So I, I, don't think, I don't think they're getting less. I think they're getting more out of those appointments than, and I'm only spending 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, I totally agree. And especially if there's like some sort of templatization that you can have with those bridge to gap meetings. I mean, to the outside person, like going through the process, you know, that's almost like getting an extra meeting in too. So you're just, you know, getting that frequency up, having more situations where they're getting value in you. And I think, you know, it's that, that time collapse, that is very, very interesting. Well, Rick, you guys have thought about a lot of different stuff too. And like, you know, um, the level of excitement that I'm kind of feeling about this, thinking about people that are listening to this podcast and Valor, they're getting, I'm thinking about applications that we have for our onboarding process. But I think it kind of speaks to how universal some of these professional service business concepts can potentially be, because ultimately these are things that you guys developed in your practice. But, you know, I can see how expandable this is to the other professionals that you work with. Sure. I mean, that's what we were thinking as well. Yeah. So and I think there's some really, really awesome stuff in the book, but we were chatting about a little of this in the pre-case and um, I, I want to be respectful of your time. We're kind of getting to the end of the, the time we had scheduled, but what's the best way to get access to this book? And like, you know, what, what's the best way to get into your world? The best way I think is to go to nrnamerica.com. If you go there, then you'll see, you know, it's got videos and stuff about NRN and what it is and you can read it, you know, watch little things on it. It's pretty straightforward. The other thing I think is really cool about it is there'll be a pop-up with the book. So you just go there and away you go. Um, and it'll take you straight to Amazon. It's a firm worth building. And one of the things that we're trying to do right now is to build, increase the number of testimonials. So, you know, we'll make an offer on this, just an isolated offer on your show, which is if you buy the book and you leave a review in, say, then, you know, at, from the time that this plays, say three weeks from the time this plays, then just send me a copy of the receipt. We'll pay for it. So we'll just, I just want reviews right now. We're just trying to build that book. It's only been out for about two and a half months or so. So we really want to build those reviews. And so that would be great if your, your audience got the benefit of that. Okay, that's awesome. Super generous offer, Rick. I really appreciate that. All right, we'll basically make sure to have all that stuff in the show notes for you guys, um, just as far as the contact and the links and that kind of stuff too, just so it makes it easy. But Rick, this has been a really fascinating conversation, like wide ranging. I want you guys, the listeners to pay attention to this. 
there's a lot of intentionality between some of the stuff that we've been talking about too. And again, this is just kind of scratch of the surface of some of the stuff we talked in the book. I know I'm going to be checking out right after this podcast, but definitely take advantage of that if you're listening to this right now. I think it's going to be super worth your while. Rick, thanks again for taking the time. And for everybody else, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.